Welcome to the Band Room Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Maddox, and today is the first episode of a brand new series from the Band Room Podcast. I know. Can you imagine? How did he do it? There's already so many series, and he somehow, and for some reason, is starting another one. Well, I don't really have a great answer for you. This new series is called Bandroom Sectionals, where I talk to great performers about their music making, how playing in band or their time in band influenced the musician that they are today, and how we can apply some of the musical skills that they're talking about to our own rehearsing, to our own teaching, and just bring it to the bandroom. This new series won't be happening every week, uh, so I'll be speaking with a, a different performer every month. Today, we're going to talk to a clarinetist. However, next month, I'll be able to speak with someone who is very important in my music education, Mr. Jim Sprague, who is second trumpet with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and was my teacher in my master's degree. Uh, Jim is a great wealth of knowledge and his passion, uh, not only for trumpet, but for music is infectious. So we'll be talking to him about all things trumpet, um, being a really great ensemble player, being a good second player and what goes into that and how we can apply that to our own teaching of ensemble playing. Um, so you'll definitely check that out. But today I had the great treat of sitting down with someone else who is very pivotal in my music education, Dr. Wesley Ferreira, associate professor at Colorado State University, where he teaches clarinet. I first met Wesley as a grade 10 student competing at my local music festival in Summerside, Prince Edward Island, where he was my adjudicator. And like most young performers or young music students, I thought I was never going to see this guy again. But it, 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 it was meant to be that I would see him again. Uh, that year, I was awarded a small scholarship to attend the Acadia University summer band camp where you get put into a band and you do sectionals and you take little classes and everything. And um, the conductor of my band was none other than Wesley Ferreira. So it was there that I got another perspective of Wesley's teaching and musicianship. And when it came time to decide where I wanted to go to school, I didn't have to think too hard because I knew I wanted to play in Wesley's bands more. So I ended up going to Mount Allison University where he was teaching at the time. And um, under his leadership and his teaching, uh, he fostered a real love for band music, for wind ensemble music, uh, and just ensemble playing and teaching in general. Um, so if it wasn't for Wesley, who knows? There, there might not even have been a bandroom podcast uh, at the time when he was teaching me, uh, he was quite a young professor. I won't say how young, um, but now as I find myself a young professor, I often think back um, to those days at Mount Allison and how lucky I was to have him as an example of how to be as a young professor. Um, now he's at Colorado State, as I mentioned before. He's a clarinet superstar, and uh, so and we talk uh, we talk a lot about clarinet during this interview. We also talk about his early days growing up. Um, he's the second guest of Portuguese descent, and as we learned from talking to Joseph Resendez, the Portuguese culture has a really 
wonderful and rich tradition of band music. Um, so we talked about that, how his musicianship influences his teaching and rehearsing and how we can apply it um, to ours. His involvement in the CSU Performing Arts and COVID research, which I know you're not a stranger to, the importance of commissioning new music, among many other exciting topics. And if that isn't enough, we recorded a really great bonus episode where we talked about some uh, funny stories from our past. And Wesley, for the first time ever, shares a story that he's never shared before. And all I will say is it involves cats. That's all I'll say. And you can hear that bonus episode if you become a Patreon subscriber where you can support the Bandroom podcast, helping to offset the various costs that come with running a podcast. Um, so you can check out what we have there already at patreon.com slash bandroompod. Uh, and you can become part of the community. There's certain incentives that you can get in return, behind the scenes looks, the bonus episode, uh, a monthly Zoom hang with myself and a special guest, which hasn't happened yet because we don't have any subscribers. So uh, once we do get some subscribers, happy to have those monthly Zoom hangs. But there's a, a number of other things, including Bandroom merchandise. So uh, think about it. It would be a great help to the podcast. Um, and before we get to my conversation with Wesley, uh, please do me a huge, a giant, a humongous favor and head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts like this one and give the Bandroom Podcast a rating and a review because this really helps get the word out to others. And I want to thank those of you who have uh, made an effort to go do that. Uh, it's been really great the last couple of weeks having someone leave a new rating, a new review. Um, thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you for doing your part. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Wesley Ferreira. I am delighted today to be joined by a clarinet rock star. And mm -hmm. it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Wesley Ferreira. Thanks so much for having me, Dylan. It's, I've uh, been following this podcast since you started. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be part of this now. Yeah, this is great. And um, I, I didn't tell you, but this is actually going to be the first of a kind of an, another new series, why not, um, called uh, Bandroom Sectionals, where I get to talk to really great performers uh, and musicians um, and, and, and talk about um, certainly that aspect of their life, but also how band has played a, a part in their, uh, their upbringing and, and all that stuff. And so my, your first guest in that series? Yeah. Oh, I'm honored. Yeah, no pressure. Um <laughs> uh, so uh certainly uh, I know lots about you um but would you mind uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself Yeah sure you know I was uh born and raised in London Ontario 
to Portuguese parents. So I, you know, all my life and I, including, I attended the University of Western Ontario for a bachelor's of music. So I really was in London until I was 22 years old. Uh, after that, I went to Arizona State University uh, to do my master's um, in clarinet performance. And at that point, I started getting involved in conducting a little bit. I knew at that point that I wanted to take a break from uh, schooling. I, I knew I wanted to do a doctorate, but I also felt like I wanted to get some real life experience. Mm -hmm. And so following that, I returned to London. Of course, I had a lot of connections there musically. And so I started conducting several um, community music groups and exploring that. And I was also the program coordinator of the New Horizons band program oh. uh, for two years at, at Western. Um, at, at that point, it was like, a you know, I was there for a year, um, then two, and then I felt it was time to go back and do a doctorate. Uh, but And I started, auditioned, got the paperwork ready, and then this position at Mount Allison University came up. And I felt that it was uh, kind of perfect for me because it was going to be uh, conducting bands, teaching conducting, but also teaching single reads, so the clarinet saxophone studio. I got that position, and I was there for four years, from mm -hmm. 2007 to 2011. And then since 2011, I've been at Colorado State University, um, I completed my doctorate mostly remotely, but while I was a professor here, and uh, so now I'm here as the associate professor of clarinet. Wonderful. Okay, that's all, folks. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a, a, a certainly a, a, an interesting path, and and you, it's cool to hear about. Um, the importance for you to, you know, get some real life experience before you go pursue that terminal degree. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I often, when students find out that about my journey, they'll, they often want to know more because I think for, for a lot of us, we think maybe, um, we worry that if we take a little bit of that time away, that we'll, uh, never get back on. Certainly, that was a worry for my parents too. But yeah. I just, I just had this real conviction. I, I really wanted to get experience that I felt like I could get. I had that kind of system set up in place for me. I created some of that, but uh, that was so invaluable for me. And yeah, my path is, is a little bit different, right? Because I also got a doctorate while being a professor at a university. So it's right. kind of a little bit backwards. Yeah, and and you, you, you already mentioned it, but. Um, part of your or origin story as a clarinetist in, involves band and this I remember um, well being in your band and you mm -hmm. you telling us about um, your Portuguese heritage and, and band of philharmonicas and, and all that um, super exciting stuff so would you mind uh, just telling it telling us a little bit about your uh, your origin story and, and how band played a part in that yeah, let's do it. Origin story. You so, like <laughs> yeah, I like that. It makes me think about the origins, like being very, I'm trying to remember as far back as I can and really musically as far back as I remember. Um, my dad was a saxophone player uh, that played in a community Portuguese band. Now, mm -hmm. um, honestly, anywhere there are there is a Portuguese community in the world, like a larger Portuguese community, you will find these bandas filarmonicas, and and they're um, an important part of civic and musical life in Portugal. And uh, you know, anywhere that the Portuguese communities have emigrated in the world, you might find one of those bands. So, in Ontario, there are many of those bands. Uh, in London, where I grew up, there was a, a successful band there. My father, having played uh, in Portugal when he came to Canada. 
uh, he became a part of this band as well. So my earliest memories are hearing my dad play, practice the saxophone at home, mm-hmm. going out to these festivals, playing concerts, um, going to their band rehearsals, uh, and just sitting and listening. Uh, I really got the bug. And so when I was old enough, which is about eight, my dad started teaching me at home. Um, and I entered that band when I was 10 and I for actually my first instrument was the E flat clarinet because it was small enough for me to play. Um, and then I moved, uh, eventually actually I didn't start playing the B flat clarinet seriously until like I was 17 years old. Really. I, I was playing E flat almost exclusively, but, um, those bands are made up. Uh, of of young kids all the way up to you know older adults 80 year olds even uh, those who can still play uh, it's a rich tradition and uh, it was challenging musically for me in many regards and so uh, that was really my musical upbringing I didn't participate in my high school uh, music program very much because they were going through a period of of flux when I entered uh, grade nine and it wasn't until uh, maybe my 10th grade where I participated in a year and then they really didn't have a strong program and so I really missed out I think on that experience that many Mm -hmm. many musicians have so really my uh, my training was in these in these Portuguese bands Um, you know when I returned I mentioned I returned to London and conducted a few bands. That mm-hmm. was one of the bands I conducted. I returned home and conducted the band that I uh, uh, grew up playing in. And there's a big community of band Portuguese band musicians in Ontario. And, and so in 2006-7 and then again in 2009-10, I spearheaded uh, uh, the Portuguese Heritage Band Project. And what it was was getting together some of the, of the better musicians in the Portuguese bands in Ontario, forming a band together that, for the purpose of recording and documenting the music uh, that that band uh, genre plays, mm-hmm. and also uh, documenting the tradition in Canada. So, you know, those albums are, are still available. Very proud of those, and uh, just great fond memories of of uh, my musical upbringing. Right. Yeah, and we'll make sure to uh, put put links for all of the albums that we'll be talking about because we'll be talking about more albums uh, soon. Um, But yeah, no, I I guess I was maybe, I guess first year at Mount Allison whenever, whenever I had first heard about this and then years went past before I had experienced any of it for myself. But you were this, you know, the second guest of Portuguese heritage on the podcast. We had Joseph Resendez also on and, um, and, uh, it's just amazing to hear about um, the community and the, the fostering of, of all these really great musicians and, and culture uh, that, that goes on there. And yeah, it's I, really, Oh, sorry. I know. I was gonna say it's, it's really interesting. I, I knew Joseph as a, as a young person mm-hmm. and he was involved in the 2010 Portuguese heritage band project. Okay. And, you know, as you said, it, it's really interesting because, you know, I played music with my father, with my brothers, with my cousins, we were all involved in this. And I think even looking back, how unique is that to be playing in a band with just so many family members? Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah. And you mentioned you started on E flat clarinet. My gosh. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it because your predecessor at Mount Allison, Jamie Mark has that E flat clarinet beginner book now. (laughs) 
he does. I saw that. That's such a great resource. Actually, my my young daughter the other day, she's been asking to play the clarinet. She's five years old, oh, wow. and I was. We were like my wife and I, who's also a clarinetist, uh, who of course you know. Um, <laughs> she, uh, we were like, yeah, are you serious? Okay, she's five years old, so we got out one of the E flat clarinets that we have, and right. it was great. You know, she was like making, she could play two notes by the end of the day, and like had a good embouchure. So maybe there's something there, but definitely, you know, obviously the E flat clarinet, smaller. You can kind of uh, important thing about the clarinet, you got to cover the tone holes. So right. <laughs> you, need, you need smaller tone holes for smaller fingers. Yeah. I can't wait for it. The Ferreira family bands is going to be right. all E flat clarinets. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what a joy. Yeah. <laughs> what a treat. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of people now know you as, as, you know, professor of clarinet at Colorado state university. Um, and we already talked about your conducting, but when I, when I first met you, I think it was actually as an adjudicator for when I was like in high school. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I remember that. I re I think it was at the West Prince festival or the East Prince festival. East Prince. Yeah. East Prince yeah. in Summerside. I remember I, I was, I think I stayed two full weeks in PEI. I think I did the East Prince first and then mm -hmm. the West Prince after. Created and then I, I remember distinctly remember, uh, remember you. Yeah, I remember you. this was like a really you just displayed a lot of confidence as a trumpet player um really curious every in in what I in what I said and I remember thinking at the time oh of course as a band director at Mount Allison I was like I got to figure out if this if this Dylan wants to go into music and how he, he can come to my school so well you worked your magic my friend <laughs> oh my magic okay let's talk about that yeah yeah but uh but anyway but beyond that i guess i i really knew you uh as a conductor first and um and you talked about um that kind of early experience um conducting the portuguese bands um and i was wondering how do you find that your musicianship as a clarinetist influenced your conducting or influences your conducting your band as, as a band educator actually in incredible ways and um i can talk about both but it's almost mostly the other way around like i feel like my experience as a conductor and a band educator has done amazing things for my clarinet playing too but mm -hmm. so uh, you know as a clarinet player how i approached working working as a conductor with bands i had a lot of emphasis on phrasing um that's something that's, of course, really important in music. Sometimes it's not always talked about uh, in the band room setting, right? Mm -hmm. Like really teaching phrasing. And so I, I had a good understanding of, of how to phrase and always instilled that in, in my bands or my students. I thought a lot about color. You know, as a clarinetist, we have a variety of colors. And so the band also has a variety of colors. Uh, and that palette, thinking about how to bring that out. Uh, telling a story. So as a soloist, often, even if you're playing as an, an accompanied soloist, it's all about you. Like you really have to tell a story. Mm -hmm. That's something that's uh, on the top of my mind as a performer. That was something that I wanted to, I wanted the ensembles that I conduct to also be able to emit or tell a story, connect with an audience. I think being a clarinetist, I had an understanding of the challenges of wind playing just yeah. across the board and what makes expression through wind, through air, uh, being able to offer instruction and suggestions to students. 
you know, other things like maybe the insistence on intonation, mm -hmm. because that's something that I think about as a clarinet a lot, you know, and then as a conductor, now what I've brought to the clarinet side is just improved ears. I mean, there's nothing like being in front of an ensemble. And then when you stop the group, everyone waits. It's like, what do you have to say? You have to have your, your opinion. So, you know, just really activating my ears on the podium has helped me as a clarinetist. You think a lot as a conductor about the various parts and being able to hear multiple parts at the same time and how they're interacting. Yeah. So I've improved in you know, my clarinet playing, being able to play my part, but being able to hear many other parts at the same time and understanding how my part can fit. And, you know, other little things I think like being able to fit my sound into a trumpet sound or into an mm -hmm. oboe sound. That's something that I thought a lot, I think a lot about as a conductor, the blending of sounds and colors. And so, you know, I've, I've received just benefits on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, I'm, I'm so glad you said all of that. And um, <laughs> I think uh, growing up in the Maritimes and, and, you know, going to, at least in my undergrad in high school, going to smaller institutions, I always took for granted the fact I had like phenomenal musicians like yourself on the podium. And I didn't really think about it. And it wasn't until I, I decided that I wanted to, you know, explore conducting and, and being maybe more a band educator side of my career that um, I began to realize how important your musicianship on your individual instrument, whatever it is, um, will, that will be you as a conductor. Because if you don't know how to practice oh, your instrument, you don't know how to rehearse. And it, it's so interesting and refreshing <laughs> to hear you talk about how it influenced both sides of your, of your life. Yeah, it's so huge, you know, uh, where I'm often telling my students here, especially music education students. And I, I feel so great about being at an institution here at Colorado State. Our, our music education faculty is amazing. They're mm -hmm. so supportive of what uh, the applied faculty do, and we're also so supportive of their program. It's a demanding program. They hold their students to the highest standards of musicianship, and that's something that all of us applied teachers or teachers who are teaching the instruments also have. I think music education students should be the best musicians they should be Amen. at the top i mean they really because it's exactly what you said you in order to be able to lead an ensemble as a conductor in order to relate in order to have an understanding of what to do musically you have to live it and you have to live with the highs and the lows and the struggles uh, that you've experienced on your instrument. You have to understand the breakthroughs that you've achieved on your instrument and spending time and thinking about music as an individual, not necessarily how do I get other people to do this, but having spent the time, of how do I, how can I do this? It, it's, it's incredibly valuable. So, um, yeah, I'm always promoting that. And speaking of promoting things that I think will be useful, you like that? That's another good segue. Um, Great segue. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. This is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, a few years back you you uh, released a program called Air Revelation, um, which I won't go on to explain. I'll, I'll let you do that. Um, but I was wondering if, if you could tell us a little bit about that and specifically how um, band directors can, can utilize this resource for their ensembles. So it's the Air Revelation Breath Support Training Program for Musicians. 
so as a teacher I spend maybe an hour a week on in a private lesson and then I was finding that of course the student then is spending so much time on their own that's the same with with conductors and music educators band directors mm -hmm. that you might see your students in the context of your ensemble for a short period of time and then it's up to them to improve as musicians and really for the clarinet and all wind instruments and voice it's all about what's happening with the air the movement of the air the speed of the air and more importantly the control of air so for a long time and this really came out of the Chicago brass school of um, playing they would use these various breathing devices so Arnold Jacob is a famous uh, tubist from the Chicago Symphony and he would famously use a lot of breathing devices I came across this incentive spirometer it's a blue spirometer you know, if you, and by the way, if you go to www.airrevelation.com, you'll see what I'm talking about and mm -hmm. you'll get to know the program. I started uh, looking into this device and all of a sudden, all these ideas came to me, ways in which I can, I could show my student, if you do this on the spirometer, then you should be able to transfer this onto your instrument. Mm -hmm. And almost actually very quickly, I came up with all of these exercises. It became inspiring to me because I saw that these exercises I was creating were transferring well um, to the student and their playing of the instruments. And so I decided to come up with this entire program. So it's a four-week program. There is an advanced week, which is a fifth week. But okay. all these exercises both work on the inhalation, which is very important, and then the exhalation. Thinking about different air speeds, the incentive spirometer offers different resistance levels too. And so I have uh, the exercises with, with individuals working on different resistance levels because we as musicians feel that as well, depending on what range of our instruments we're in. Mm -hmm. And it's really gaining the understanding of air, inhaling, exhaling, and again, how to control. So there are exercises that work on creating more smooth crescendos. Uh, more gradual diminuendos, which students have, uh, all musicians have more trouble with. Yeah. Subito changes of dynamics, uh, creating uh, better support. So I have, a, you know, there are a lot of programs around the country that are using both uh, studios and also band programs that are using these devices. Yep. There's instructional videos for each exercise, very organized layout of how you should proceed through the weeks. And, and the way band programs have been using them, and I advise, is for the students to have those devices with them. Just generally as a warm-up, there are warm-up exercises to every part of the day. Mm -hmm. And... The, the key is what you do well on the spirometer, which you can, you can see your air by way of this ball that moves. You can hear your air because um, you're hearing it um, uh, orally, and then you can also feel what's happening. So programs can use these as warm-ups and then apply everything that you do with the spirometer onto your instruments. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with some band programs where we've done it as warm-ups and get incredible kind of sound from the band. Sometimes after after some a period of time, uh, musicians get tired. Uh, taking that little break, doing a few more exercises, and even more specifically with some gradual diminuendos from the entire band, having everyone just work on that exercise for about two minutes uh, with the spirometer and then applying that to their playing. Yeah. Um, so... Um, 
that's the program in a nutshell. It's, it's used by a lot of a lot of folks. I'm very proud of it, mm-hmm. um, mostly because of the help it does for musicians. Yeah, and it's it, I think it's great because uh, I remember uh, yourself and Dr. Klaus made us all buy these things very early, well before Air Revolution was uh, officially right. uh, a thing. Um, but when I'm thinking of my own wind pedagogy, you know, we're doing breathing exercises and things, but it's without any kind of device or anything, but with your, with, with using the speedometer, you really, you know, be it having the balls float in the middle or whatever it is. Look at that. That's beautiful. Uh, uh, all of these things. And, and especially the, the three pillars of air pedagogy that you talked about, being able to hear it, being able to see it, being able to feel it are, are really important things. And I think working on air exercises is often the quickest way we can improve our sound and, and that. Oh, that kind absolutely. Of... Right. And uh, it's almost the last thing that people think about, unfortunately. Right. Like I have this thing with it's my students. It, that's it. It's too easy. And so I'll often when I'm working in clinics uh, of, 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 of any variety, I'll ask, what's the most important thing about playing your instrument? Mm-hmm. And it could be any instrument. And we'll hear all these, all these, you know, it'll be like tone, it'll be uh, fingers, it'll be um, sitting up straight, it'll be all these types of things. And you don't hear people say air. And the truth is, without air, all of our wind instruments are just kind of shiny, mm-hmm. interesting looking objects, right? So it's it's the air. And then once they acknowledge that, I'll say, okay, but before your what in terms of what you're thinking about air which is exhaling the air into the instrument what do we have to think about first sometimes there's blanks sometimes you'll hear oh we have to breathe in and think about how far down the line breathing in is (laughs) in terms of our music making it all starts with the inhalation and i think we spend a lot more time in our music making and study thinking about what happens when the air goes out of our body when you know the air revelation program and a lot of my pedagogy is also focusing on that most important how do we get air into our body in a way that's full deep and without tension if we start there we have a we can have be successful in the exhalation yeah yeah wonderful stuff um one thing that i want to talk about because i think a, a lot of our listeners would uh, if they did not already know about Colorado State this year, they they definitely do because we've heard so much um, about the the research and the studies coming out um, with Colorado State being one of several institutions leading the way into this wind playing and, and COVID nineteen research. And I know that you took part in the Colorado right. State study um, reducing bioaerosol emissions and exposure in the performing arts. And I was wondering if I only saw pictures. So could you uh, speak a little bit about the experience and um, and maybe how that research has influenced your teaching and performance, I guess, specifically at, at Colorado State? Yeah, it's been fascinating. I've It's been great to be a part of the project in a small way. It's We're really fortunate here at Colorado State University to have incredible researchers and also facilities to be able to 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 partake in these tests. We got involved in it earlier. It's, multi, it's a multidisciplinary team leading, uh, leaded by, it's being led by John Vulcans, who's a, a professor, professor of mechanical engineering, also with our director of the School of Music, Theater, and Dance here, Dan Goble, and our director of bands here, Rebecca Phillips. They're all yeah. involved as lead researchers. Um, I entered, they have this chamber that I entered into 
completely covered in head to toe. I think you saw the pictures. And then I had to play on my clarinet uh, several different exercises. They were really testing to see uh, the the size and the amount of air particles or uh, aerosol coming out of the instrument, both out of the bell for the clarinet, uh, out of the tone holes in the clarinet, and then measuring any that was coming maybe from the embouchure. So we've tested uh, very, very, very uh, many instrumentalists of different ages and abilities too. That was an important part of our research that wasn't uh, necessarily a part of every research is testing the middle school player, testing the high school player, the professional player, the um, community player to see the differences. Uh, in addition to playing the clarinet, I also would sing. I had to sing something because they wanted I to hear measure. These rec- are there recordings? Oh, I think there are recordings. Okay, okay. I, I, I think I'd be fine having them released. I felt good about my singing <laughs> that day. Um, the uh, So they would measure how much I was an emitter. So I actually, I was a low emitter, emitter, even in my speaking or in my singing. Um, so I think it is important to test a variety of human beings also to see. So we got a sense early on of the of the instruments uh, types that emitted a lot of aerosol, um, voice, trumpet especially, sort of off the charts. Um, and then uh, lower on the spectrum was clarinet uh, and oboe. Mm-hmm. So it really informs us here at the university on how to proceed. I know that around the world, administrators and musicians are really thinking about how to make uh, during this period of the pandemic period how to make their uh, how to continue with music in a safe way and I think they are referencing the variety of research going into it we are fortunate to proceed because we have the the data here so we were kind of a slow out of this academic year to get to get started we wanted to have more research before we proceeded with having people play live we're at that point now mm-hmm. players are wearing bell covers we have limited uh, musicians in a room we also did testing here in our spaces to see the, the the timing and the rate of exchange how long it took to clear a room um, uh, using HEPA filters in rooms when we can the types of things I think people are are, are using right now but it's been uh, it's been great to be a part of that process because I think I feel like and we feel here like we're part of the solution and part of of helping others. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think we're all immensely grateful um, for that, the work that you're doing and the, the work that your colleagues are doing as well. Um, I, I know I was waiting with bated breath for, right. <laughs> for the, the results to come out to see what we could do this year. Yeah. Um, and um, kind of keep, keeping in the same vein, I know with um, with the pandemic, I can only speak to my relationship with my students, but um, there's been a, a big struggle uh, to find the motivation to practice. And, you know, I find that struggle myself. Um, I was wondering, since you're so phenomenal, do you have any, <laughs> do you have any, any wise words to help improve uh, student practice or even, you know, professional practice um, during the, the pandemic? I think a lot of people are struggling with that. Um, not even in the music making, but also just how to proceed in the world mm-hmm. right now. And I feel that early on, March, April, when everything got canceled for me, 
I quickly felt that, what am I going to do now? I, I like to yeah. practice. I practice a lot, but I also felt that tinge of what will I work on? What, what should I work on? Um, I decided early on, this was a great time to do a recording project. It was, I was thinking for a long time about a solo recording project of pieces, unaccompanied pieces, but pieces with electronics too. And so, uh, that was invigorating for me thinking about that project. So right away I picked up those pieces. I recorded this summer in August. I finished that recording process Mm. in December, but then here I am now in January. Again, I'm back to nothing on the horizon. (laughs) I just finished that project and what next? So I, I'm, that that question that you pose is, is hitting close to home. I think for students at various points in their study, they're going to feel the highs and lows, right? They still have these juries to play. They still have the weekly lesson the um, that they have to at least demonstrate some uh, um, progress on. So I think for them, there's, there's at least that. Uh, but how do we keep motivated? My first thought is there's a lot of different personalities. We're, we're so different as humans, right? What what might work for me may not work for someone else. So whatever I offer here, hopefully it'll make an impact with, with someone. I think creating those little projects for yourself are good or those little mm-hmm. goals, yeah, whether it's a full-scale project or like I'm going to record myself just and just for myself, you know, this etude, or I'm going to set a goal to practice these many days in a row, or I really want to play these four scales really well. Thinking maybe smaller. I think some of the difficulty with the pandemic right now is we're all almost paralyzed by this big picture. We we're, we see the world, the world is kind of stopped. Life as we know it has stopped. We don't really see an end point, And so that can be scary. And so it's, we're almost paralyzed by this big picture. Like we're not, what happens next? I think the best thing to do is focus local to yourself, to your family, to your community and, and be in control of what you can, can control right now. And so I think it's the same with music. It's, you know, what can I control right now? Um, am I, what am I like as a person? It, do I get more motivation if I can play with someone? Can I set up a weekly something with someone in a safe way? Can I uh, find inspiration in places maybe that I haven't looked before? Maybe some people have more time to read, more time to be on YouTube perusing, finding those inspirational videos. Um, I think it's different for different people. I think first the desire has to be there. Yeah. I think it's easy when you are not sure about your place as a musician to give up and to say, uh, I'm not good, I don't feel like it. But if you think back about the reasons you love music, what is it about being in music that you love? And and going back to those moments and thinking about the things that inspired you and that moved you and trying to have more of that in your life at this point, I think is can only be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think for me, I'm I'm always, well, not always, I'm trying to remind myself that this is for a time, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. you know, we, we will be back. And, and also, uh, you talked about, you know, building projects. And um, I think we, we can't forget the importance of the arts, even whenever we don't want to do the arts, maybe, maybe when we feel so beaten down. 
Um, but yeah, but like you said, everyone's different and you know, some people aren't self-starters and may, maybe need to be pushed more and, or maybe it's just time to take, take, take some time off. Yeah, and, that, and that's okay too. I think, yeah. I think sometimes we feel the pressure that we should be doing things. And of course, m- maybe during the pandemic, we're spending more time on social media too, cause there mm-hmm. is more time and you're, and social media gives you, um, just a perspective. If you see, if you scroll through a feed and you're seeing, you know, 10 people who are doing interesting projects, we don't see the hundred or the 200 that are struggling mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing what everyone's doing, uh, may make you feel inferior in terms of, I just, I don't have any motivation right now. I can't do it. Just know it's, it's okay. You may never get this time again in your, in your, in your life yeah. that it's okay. And people are saying it's okay to not, you know, to, to not be well, but also to not, be going crazy but you brought up a good point dylan which is this is this is temporary i think we all believe that and the good thing for students is that they have a future and i think being a student part of what happens naturally is that you're forward looking you're future looking right students are inevitably looking to what am i going to do with my life what am i going to do once i graduate that in itself might be motivation to 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 keep going but also to say what i do now uh, is going to impact what I, what happens to me in the future. And so I think some, as I've been speaking to students, they understand that. And I, I, I've sensed that that kind of gets them going too, yeah. to think like, I, I really do have to, to keep, keep progressing here because this is my chance in this moment yeah. to learn, to develop. And, and what I do in this moment is going to um, impact what happens in two, three, four years down the road when hopefully the, you know, this is a, a just a bad memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And one thing I, I want I forgot I, to mention was um, speaking of social media and motivation, um, Dr. Ferreira does these wonderful clarinet survival tips, and I think you must be I think you're ninety or you're close to a hundred. Yeah, you know I'm 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 about to get to ninety nine. So I I do a musician survival tips yeah. that are just geared more towards general musicians of of any instrument, and then I do clarinet survival tips too. I started that in 2016 and every Tuesday, I call it like a tip Tuesday. Every Tuesday right. I put one out and uh, yeah, I'm almost uh, up to the hundred mark. Ooh, wow. 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 Yeah. So, so if you haven't uh, checked it out yet, go check it out on, on, um, on his Facebook page. There's a great back catalog for you to experience and catch up on. So uh, there's so many things I could talk about and all the, the great things you, you're doing at, at CSU. Um, and one of those things is with the wonderful Janice Starling uh, and the Lift Clarinet Academy. So I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, Academy as well as um, what's happening this year. It's a, um, the Lift Clarinet Academy. We started in 2014 and uh, Dr. Janice Starling, who teaches at Western, uh, We've been good friends for many, many years. We were at Arizona State University together. And in 2014, we started the Lift Clarinet Academy, which is a one-week summer program for college students. It's really based on uh, developing as a clarinetist and as a musician. It's mostly geared about towards pedagogy mm-hmm. with a lot of performance involved. A few years after I started Lift Clarinet Academy, then I started the Junior Lift Clarinet Academy. Oh. And that's for high school students. So it's great because we really get really talented high school students from around uh, the world, really, um, who take music seriously, who take clarinet seriously, and and, um, and some who, who take it seriously but may not go on in music. 
last year, unfortunately, last summer, we we had to cancel um, mm -hmm. as people weren't getting together. I believe this summer, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to offer it as well. We thought about moving it online, and of course, there's so much online education now, but we really wanted to be true to the spirit of what we do. For anyone who's attended the Lift Clarion Academy, you know it's like a real family atmosphere. There's uh, learning happening, but it's in an incredibly safe space, and people uh, leave the program really feeling close, not only to the professors and the performers that we bring in, but to you know the fellow students, and, and that's kind of networking that they continue on into the future. I, I think there's a little bit of uh, online teaching fatigue, I think, even from students. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it just wouldn't do the program and what we believe in and how our philosophy to just be another online mm -hmm. program. Um, it, it's it's not what we do. So, But I feel, hopefully like most people, pretty confident that I, I think the following summer with the vaccines coming out, that we'll be back and we will be back. And uh, I'm really uh, starting to miss that interaction that I have with uh, the students in the summer and, and everything uh, that we put forth with that program. Great. And when it is back, uh, make sure to, to check it out. I mean, programs like this and are very, I think, vital, well, not, I don't think, I know, are very vital yeah. to a musician's um, growth outside, outside of being at university. Uh, and there's some of the most kind of life-changing, inspirational yeah. moments have come from programs such as such as that yeah it's so true that it's so invaluable i talk to my students about going to the summer programs where you're you just expand your world right mm -hmm. and you say it's life-changing i i met my wife at one of those summer <laughs> programs and uh so it certainly changed my life a lot <laughs> there you go so if you go to lift clarinet academy you will be promised a spouse <laughs> <laughs> for an additional fee for an additional it's, oh, okay it's the higher package it's right. the um, <laughs> the clarinet study and the matchmaking package. Oh, wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, and uh, whenever we were talking about, you know, motivation and, and, you know, keeping, I don't want to say keeping busy during the pandemic, but uh, you talked about projects and, and one of one project that I've been, I've just enjoyed so much following and, and I, I think I teach clarinet students. <laughs> uh, so I'm always like, hey, check out this video of my past teacher um, has been your, your guitar and clarinet uh, duo uh, Jaka and I was wondering if you could speak about the duo how it started and and what you've what you've been doing what's coming up and all that stuff thanks yeah it's such a great part of my musical life Jaka mm -hmm. so my duo partner is Jackson Williams he's a guitarist we met it's a, actually a funny story I was set to record a piece for clarinet and guitar that I commissioned. It was going to be recorded at Arizona State University where I had a great connection there, of course, as a student mm -hmm. uh, with the guitar professor there. At the time, I was the clarinet professor at Colorado State University, so I'd been here. Uh, a couple days before the recording session, he informed me that he had a serious hand injury and he wasn't able to record. Now, of course, I had the studio booked and, every, and the flights and the hotels, everything. So I was really in a bind, but he said, you know, I'm going to get my best student on 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 this for you so of course not knowing what to expect right like how's anyone let alone a student going to be able to learn this music so um i connected with a student uh he, you know we're, we're close in age i started mm -hmm. teaching 
University Young, and he was he was older, but he was doing his graduate work there. When we got together, it was honestly like just incredible connection musically. We got along so well personally. We came to find out that we think a lot, uh, and, and our life experiences have a lot of similarities. So. And then as we recorded that piece, people in the booth were like, wow, you guys really play well together. Sounds like you've been playing for years mm -hmm. after only having played a couple of days really to put this together. So it was from that point on that we thought about forming a, a group. And clarinet and guitar isn't an unusual, an uncommon pairing. There isn't very much music uh, for it already in existence, but it's really afforded us the opportunity to blaze a trail to um, commission new pieces, to arrange new pieces, to compose pieces. It's unlike being in a maybe a traditional a chamber ensemble like a string quartet. We don't have that burden of having to live up to a legacy or to play certain pieces or to compete with many other groups. And so we have a really great amount of freedom uh, for creativity. And so we've uh, you can check us out, jacamusic.com, J-A-C-A, music.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Our our handles are follow Jaca, and our YouTube page as well. Uh, subscribe. Hit that smash yeah. button. <laughs> um, and so we've been putting a lot of videos out there. We perform at universities in concert series. During the pandemic, we've been able to uh, perform a couple virtual concerts uh, with a lot of interaction that's the one interesting thing about uh performing a concert virtually nowadays is you can you can have that interaction with an audience through chats um we've had the them su suggest pieces for us uh, and so it, that that's been a lot of fun so we've been spending the time during we've had a lot of our can concerts canceled we hope to pick those up again post pandemic but we've been spending a lot of time thinking about how to connect with our our audiences and fans we've since started a blog we have a newsletter that anyone can sign up for on our website so we think a lot about what we put out in the world uh, uh, connecting with audiences both musically and in the extra things that we do yeah. uh, including an emerging composers competition that we have now including uh, one of our foundations we have the Jaca cultural exchange program that people can both donate to and buy items from our online store that will then take 100% of those proceeds and and donate to an underserved arts community so um it's just been a great creative outlet both musically and in terms of making an impact on the world yeah, yeah. no yeah it's really wonderful and <clears throat> i know you already said hit that sm smash that subscribe yeah. button but you really should there's so much really great content there um music that is impressive music that is we i mean you very early on in our conversation you talked about um phrasing and how uh, how important that was and i that's actually the main reason i use it when i when i get my students right. to listen i think there's a beautiful debussy recording that you yeah. did that i'm always listen to this this is how you lead oh, my that's friends that's nice of you oh, that's nice of you um but yeah so please go go um check out jaca um you you were talking about um the emerging composers uh competition and and i know since i've known you new music has been uh very important to you both in the band and as a clarinetist um so i was wondering if you could tell us why is it important to you and and how do you go about forging those connections with composers 
Oh yeah, you know, Dylan, do you remember that we played a premiere work? I I brought in that young composer from Harvard, and we played. Yeah, uh, Nick De Birardino is his name. And it was about waves. It had the word. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And we brought him in, and we performed that work, and uh, that was really meaningful. I think why I'm so interested in new music. And, and working with composers is because it's a very meaningful to me because I think we should all be thinking this way as well. We live on this earth for a short period of time and the people that we come in contact with either directly or even indirectly, that th- these are the people that we live with. This, this are, these are the people that we are on earth with and we have the opportunity to interact with them and make an impact on their lives. So I'm really interested in the music of today and what current composers are doing. So much attention is given to works of the past, and rightfully, we've kind of filtered down some of the best works, and so we want to perform those, sometimes to the detriment of of music of the present. And I think music of the present present got maybe a bad rap in the 60s and 70s and 80s uh that's not the music of today the music of today i think is so uh imaginative there's a blending of different music genres that's really exciting for me and i want to do my part to be part of this living and breathing art form we're not here to be museum curators Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're here and we have the uh, maybe the obligation, but we do have the privilege to to continue this kind of living, breathing art. And so for me, I love working with composers. I love uh, premiering works. Um, I enjoy, of course, commissioning works because in, in that way it supports the livelihood of composers, too. I love uh, promoting new pieces that I think are worthy that people don't know about several of my albums clarinet albums uh, have new pieces some were commissioned by me some have been in existence for a long time but just not many people know about Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's a it's a big thing of what i think about and that's a little bit of the background but why i think it's so important right no it's it's really great and um you talk about you know i i guess it it's our way as artists, not so much cre- creators in the sense that we're composing, it's our way of participating in that creation process. And I, I know mm-hmm. um, at least the composers we've had here on the Bandroom podcast, my friends uh, Pete Meekin or, or Kate Nishimura, that relationship with the performer or the ensemble or the conductor is very vital to the creation of the art. Um, so it's, it's very uh, inspiring to hear all the the work that you're doing to to help create these new works and and let new voices be heard. Yeah, I think for anyone out there who who might be interested in collaborating with a composer, but maybe it's scary. Just know, composers, as you mentioned, Dylan, composers know that relationship all too well. They're if they want their band work performed or their solo work or their chamber work performed, they actually need people. They yeah. actually need people. And I think that's a real struggle for them, right? Depending on where they are in their lives and what kind of connections they may or may not have. Just being able to have people perform their work and record their work is so vital for them. And so for anyone out there who is, um, you know, maybe interested in that, uh, you're going to find just very open, with open arms, you'll you'll be received by some composers who, are, if, if you're showing interest in their work, then... Um, 
you know, very easily, I think you can you can then start going down the path of how you can work together to make something come come to life. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now, because I don't know about you, but I've heard so many MIDI recordings. It's not even... <laughs> <laughs> so oh, the many. poor MIDI. <laughs> the poor MIDI. <laughs> yeah, poor MIDI. Um, yeah. And um, I, I will, we'll keep in this familiar topic, but um, every month we do a, uh, a featured piece. And this, this month we're going to feature one of your recordings, uh, which is a movement from uh, Auto 66 by uh, James M. David, who I know is one of your colleagues. Um, and uh, what, it's a great piece and you're going to hear it. So don't worry, folks. Um, but you have a new CD coming out. That is all the music of James M. David. So I was wondering if you could talk about how it came to be. Thanks. You know, Jim, Jim David, he's an incredible composer. Mm -hmm. He has a large catalog for a variety of instruments and increasingly over the last couple of years, really, really great band works that have been premiered at all many, all sorts of conferences. So uh, PMEA, Midwest, um, just just so many, many concerts uh, in conferences. Some of the listeners may, may have may be familiar with him, so I definitely encourage you to check him out. When I first got here, I already knew of him because he had written quite a lot of, um, quite a few clarinet pieces. His wife, in fact, is a clarinetist, and I think that has something to do with it, but he understands the instrument really well. He's partial to the instrument. Right. So in my time now with him, he's written some pieces with me in mind to perform. He's written pieces for the clarinet for other individuals, other ensembles, and I really just love his music. I, it's modern. It's got a unique voice. It's got a style that's all his own, and uh, I feel like I understand it. It fits my style of playing as well well so years ago i i talked to him about recording his many of his pieces for clarinet or clarinet is involved in his piece so this new album has his clarinet sonata which i was a part of the of the consortium along with many other clarinetists it has a really great clarinet quartet uh two movements um and then it has a trio with clarinet flute and percussion so the album has those three pieces all recorded here at Colorado State University. And so that's a full album released on a Classica record label. And uh, yeah, I hope your listeners enjoy that. And then I, it was the second time on an album that I featured one of his works. One of, one of my first, actually my debut album, included his clarinet concerto with wind, with wind Band. Incredible piece called Auto 66. It's in three movements. Each of the movement is titled and features and is in the style of a different uh, car, a different automobile that was yeah. uh, that, that came out in 1966. So uh, that's a blast to play. And he's since made arrangements for smaller wind ensemble and also for a chamber version that I performed as well. No, I, as I told you, uh, earlier uh, i played that recording in my wind ensemble yeah, rehearsal this okay. week and you know being teaching in a small at a small institution um there's not a lot of opportunity to hear playing like that so all the students were like yeah rock on that it, is it some, really is yeah it's it's uh it's some really phenomenal music and playing um and we should say that this is one of many cds and we didn't even talk about some of them but uh the this the CD that we'll be playing out of sixty six from is called Madison Avenue and it, another uh, wonderful 
wonderful CD, uh, which it will all be linked in the episode links, so you can check it out. Um, we've sadly come to the last question of the uh, the interview. Uh, unless you're a Patreon subscriber, of course, then you can have access to the bonus episode right now. No one does because none of you are Patreon subscribers. So you. Well, let you me help you with the plug. Let me help you with the plug, Dylan, because you were, um, you know, in you've kind of sent me some questions and you just asked me to think about something for the bonus episode. You said, you know, maybe the craziest gig or some story just that that might be interesting. And, oh, I have I have some interesting stories to tell, including one that I've never admitted to. I've blocked it out of my mind that this actually happened. And I think after many years, I'm ready to come to terms with it. I'm ready to tell the story. And that's going to, it sounds like that's going to be in the bonus episode. Oh my gosh. Was I there? You weren't there. You will. You're glad you weren't okay. there. Let me just say that. Okay. I have, anyway, I have something that I want. I want anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so uh, if you could give one piece of advice uh, to upcoming performers, music educators, what would it be? So I think it's to find that aspect of music that you're passionate about and include that in your music making, your current and future music plans. So find that thing that's unique to you. Find that thing about music or about the arts that you really are passionate about. I think we growing up have this idea that our careers have to be a certain thing or our life with music has to be a certain way. It has to involve this type of career or it has to be a part of your life in this way. I think as artists, we have the minds to think bigger, to think with more depth and nuance. That's what we've learned in our studies of music, uh, to look at the different colors and shapes, to listen to others, to look at what what's not there. My advice or piece of wisdom would be to do that in our own lives thinking about music. We don't all have to aspire and it's not all it's not for everyone to aspire to be in this career or in that career or that particular part of music. What's unique to you is what makes you authentic. It's what attracts others to you. Uh, and that could be the type of music you want to play, how you say the music, what ensemble or what group you want to perform in. I think that's the thing we should think about because that's what excites me when I listen to musicians. Do they have something to say? Does it seem like it's really a part of them? That authenticity, that's what people pay money for. That's what connects with people. We see that in all arts, right? We see that in the, in the film. You know, Some of your favorite actors are really getting to the heart of the story, but you know that they're honest about about their desire to to tell that story. I think that's the big thing. We often don't talk about that enough, but that would be my my piece to share. Oh, and what a beautiful piece it is to share. And I, I think a great way um, to end the episode. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to go do the bonus episode now, but I want to publicly thank you uh, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to have this conversation. And I was, I was thinking earlier this week, um, I'm so lucky with this podcast to be able to talk to people um, that have played a big role in my musical upbringing. And um, I was specifically, I was thinking there probably wouldn't even be a band room podcast if I had never met you Um, because you were one of my earliest, you know, 
ensemble inspirations and and really um, fostered that that love for music and band music um, early on. So thank you so much, uh, Wesley, for um, yeah. taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, well, that means a lot. And let me let me just share something with you, Dylan, too. I think sometimes as as teachers and students depart each other that we don't often get this opportunity to connect like this and uh i can just speak for myself that that what you've given me and and the memories i have of working with you are just as meaningful to me so and i'm so proud of of all the work you're doing up there and and where you're you're going what you've done already so just know that too it's very kind thank you Every month we do a featured piece and composer and because today's guest has so many phenomenal recordings I thought why not feature one of his recordings so we will feature Wesley Ferreira's recording of Auto 66 which is a clarinet concerto by James M. David here's a little bit about the piece in Mr. David's own words the automobile, perhaps more than any other piece of technology, inspires strong emotional reactions in people, and certain cars seem to transcend their role as means of transportation to become works of art. My Clarinet Concerto is about three such vehicles that were built in 1966. They were chosen for their historical significance, physical beauty, and ability to inspire their owners. Further, all three cars have different national origins, which allowed me to draw from the native music for each. We will be playing the third movement of this concerto, but the first movement is the Lamborghini. The second movement is Mini Cooper S. And last but not least is the Pontiac GTO, the first true muscle car. Many forms of American music are on display, from funk to metal to hard bop with a special nod to the legendary Artie Shaw. Percussion plays a crucial role as the famous Amen break takes on several different guises. This work is dedicated to my father who taught me to love cars and bands, and to my wife who taught me to love the clarinet. Here is the third movement of Auto 66 GTO by James M. David. It is performed by clarinetist Wesley Ferreira and the Colorado State University Wind Symphony, conducted by Christopher Nicholas.
Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, you should visit our website, bandroompod.com. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the band room and give us that rating and review and maybe tell a friend how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, consider donating to our Patreon page where you can donate to BRP and get some extra incentives in return, like bonus episodes, monthly Zoom hangs with me and a mystery guest, and even some BRP merch. Speaking of another way to support the podcast, you could buy some BRP merch helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media at BandroomPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what is on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website. And who knows, that comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. A big giant thanks to composer EKR Hamill for letting us use his piece Skyline as the BRP theme music, which was performed by the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble, conducted by Dr. Gillian McKay. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. <laughs>